Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. The way that the personalities are of all four of us, it was it was just natural to do whatever we have to do to move the team forward. Um, you know, it just it, the instant thing, we didn't have to even talk about the stuff. It was the food sharing. It was the, does somebody need a toe? It was the get the person an extra layer out. Um, these are like, there was just zero discussion about this, but it just naturally happens. Okay. You people sit tight, hold the fort and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. You're going the wrong way. What? You're going the wrong way. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatins. New episode, holy cow, Jen Seger is returning to the Dark Zone all the way back in episode 24. Jen is an adventure racer and a coach and a guide and a student pilot, and now she's learning to ride motorcycles, and she's a great guest and an excellent coach. We're delighted to have her return to the Dark Zone. She is always kind enough to spend her time and her wisdom. On top of that, she has also decided to toss into listeners of the Dark Zone. There is a 40% off discount for her AR courses for the beginner and intermediate sprint races. If you go to her website, www.jensegger.com, J-E-N-S-E-G-G-E-R.com, and put in the code DARKZONE, all one world, all one lowercase, I kind of said that wrong, but you heard it properly. All one word, all lowercase. There's a 40% off discount on those courses. Want to point out to those paying attention that Jen did not pay me to give that information out. She is a kind guest who's come of her own volition to the show. We are not one of those shows that has sponsored content. No spawn con here. Everybody you talk to comes out of their own volition. And of her own volition, Jen shares great and interesting wisdom and information and guidance. And she is a great listen for both the experienced and the beginner adventure racer. So sit back and enjoy Jen Seger on the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast. I'd like to also mention the Dark Zone's charity partner, Ascend Athletics. We are proud to support their mission to empower young women through mountaineering-based leadership training and community service. All of our listeners are encouraged to visit AscendAthletics.org to learn more about Ascend and their work in helping to develop leadership and resiliency in young women in Pakistan and Afghanistan through fitness, mental health, community service, and mountaineering. Please note that Ascend pays nothing for this mention. We just love the work that they do and are happy to spread the word. Be sure to check out their website for some upcoming activities that anyone can get involved in. Now sit back and relax and enjoy Jen Seger. We have a returning guest today, Jen Seger, known as Siegs, is a coach. She's a racer. She's a guide. She's an aspiring pilot. If you follow her Instagram, it's up in the air very often. Jen was a guest on episode number 24, came out March 6th of 2022. And to celebrate our one-year anniversary, I've invited Jen to come back to talk racing and coaching and life and race life balance. Jen, welcome back to the Dark Zone. Have you been? Hey, great to be back on again. Um, always excited to talk about the sport that we both love so much. So thanks for having me. Uh, good to be here. So let's dive into it. And you hit across a, a wide spectrum of, of pursuits and all the things that you do. Rather than get into the things that you offer other people, let's talk about what you offer yourself. Expedition Canada, right around the corner. Tell us about that race, who you're racing with, and what are your goals? What are you expecting to do? 
Yeah, excited uh, to be back again. Uh, we had a really good, um, you know, really good time on the course last year, uh, made our fair share of mistakes out there, uh, brought together a team where none of us had really raced together um, before. Um, and it, but it, we had so much fun. Um, you know, Nat and team did a great job with it. So, yeah, looking forward to being back out there, um, racing as Teams Bones Canada. So, of course, I usually race for uh, the regular Bones, Bones USA. And this year we are fielding two teams. So uh, it's going to be, yeah, great to have uh, two teams out there and uh, tackling uh, some good Canadian terrain. So Expedition Canada joins a lot of the North American races. You know, we always have, you know, we have Bend, right? Team Bend puts that great race on Expedition Oregon. Endless Mountains is coming from Rootstock Racing. We have a, a wide variety of those races. Expedition Ozark is right around the corner. For our listeners at home, what really distinguishes Expedition Canada? Is it the the weather, the terrain? Talk to us a bit about what you experienced in terms of the race itself as you've done it in the past. What is Natalie Long, who's a great race director, does a great job? What do you find out on the course with her kinds of races? Well, you know, this is a unique one because this is very desert-based. So with the region that it in, you know, people, most people don't think about Canada as being deserty um and it really is it's in the region we call <clears throat> the okanagan and um <clears throat> it's known for its great wineries uh very dry very hot hot summers and so we're right on that cusp uh, sort of the end of may uh, for that so it's not huge mountains but it is constant elevation, just up, down, more rolling. And, you know, of course, I live here on the West Coast um, where we're in the Coast Mountain Range um, and some, you know, very aggressive peaks, big climbs, that sort of thing. So very different. And you get to the Okanagan and it's more just sort of a constant up, down, up, down uh, type feel. But, um, yeah, it's it's very unique. Um, it, had, it offered some great riding last year. Uh, the course took us to all sorts of single track that I didn't even knew existed. And I've, I played in that area sort of the Kelowna Penticton area a lot over the years and uh, swum in the lakes and done all kinds of uh, adventures there, but I had never actually been to some of these uh, mountain biking zones. And I was thoroughly impressed with what was put together. Um, I think the pack rafting leg was one of the most fun that I've ever had. Um, we, we've been dealing with some big rains, so there was some great flow. Um, but it was not one of those slog it out type paddles. It was um, it was engaging and active from start to finish and uh, really enjoyable. So I'm keen to see, yeah, what she's put together this year, how it differs. Um you know, we came into snow last year. We had a big trekking section and a big O course uh, uh, leg uh, in the snow, and uh, had some some challenging nav as well there. So that was great. And then, you know, we got the hot temps and we got the cool nights, and um, we had some we had everything. Honestly, it was uh, yeah, just sort of what you maybe expect for uh, in terms of diversity <laughs> in Canadian terrain. Well, those are the, the great races, right? Great races they they bring you to the highs, they bring you to the lows, <laughs> and you mentioned it was great water in the pack rafting section. In the beginning, you mentioned how you were you were racing with a team that you didn't race together a whole lot. How did you navigate that dynamic? Because as you know, five-day race, you know, over 100 hours of racing laying in front of you. Did you talk at all before the race? Did you let the race unfold? How did the team dynamic come across? Because as we all know, the team dynamic is as, as important as the physical strength of the racers. Yeah, it was, it was more of a, yeah, like just trying to find – I guess the right folks to do it, but we had some some team changeover. So what it had initially actually been was we were racing as Team Eco AR, which was the race uh, directors from Eco Challenge Fiji. So I was joining three of the race directors for that, uh, um, you know, and it was captained by Kevin Hodder. And so um, Kevin, and he's just this incredible athlete, incredible adventurer, but he'd actually never done an expedition adventure race himself. And um, yet he knows the sport inside yeah, he's, out. So, he's really good at putting people through their paces. Here's a guy that, well, yeah, he's a rookie. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So it was, um, I, I mean, he did he did great. Uh, so we had Kev, um, we had uh, James Gallipo, who races for Bones as well, very experienced. Um, and Dave Ellis, who had just moved back from Australia and been heavily involved in the Australian racing scene, um, had made a move back to Canada. So the four of us combined. But what was interesting, and this was probably the first time ever in my 20 years of racing where I was um, on a team without a lead navigator. 
Um, and so, you know, that um, <clears throat> has its share of challenges. Um, you know, everybody can navigate. Uh, everybody had to partake and we got through it. And, you know, we didn't make anything, no major mistakes, just like theories of little things that I think, um, you know, when you've got people who are on the maps all the time, just those little mistakes that you uh, you breeze through. So um, this had its, yeah, it was a different type of challenge in that. And then, of course, there was the, uh, you know, the 2 a.m. standing in front of your bike box and, uh, you know, count blankly staring what do I do with this thing I'm like Kev you got to build your bike now oh right right like he's you know he's going through just all that sleep deprivation and right. and whatnot um but incredible he just got stronger as it went on and that's where his experience as a as a great adventurer um really kicked in but we had a lot of laughs the team dynamics were exceptional so much fun um i would race with any of them again um in a heartbeat um super fun but unfortunately yeah none of them are returning to this race uh this year so it was a matter of, of building out a new team Gotcha. And so the first of all, I think it's hilarious that Kevin Hodder, who, by the way, Kevin, I know you're out there and you're a future guest. So return my emails. Actually, I have to get his email. That's I'll get that from you after the after the I'll give we, it to we, you. We record. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Um, I think it's hilarious that Kevin Hodder, who was instrumental in, in Eco Challenge Fiji and has this great reputation that as a rookie, you had to walk him through all that. But to your point, he was a great adventurer. And he had to navigate, once again, the two o'clock in the morning, staring at your bike box. Where does this go? All of that. Um, really interesting that you didn't have a, a, a declared lead navigator going into the race and that that was a that's a team dynamic that you usually don't hear about in adventure racing. Usually, at least they, they lock up the navigator pretty quickly. Um, was there a point during the race where all four of you were looking at the maps and like, no, you take over, you take over, you take over? Like, like I don't want to do it. Well, I think we kind of sorted it out per leg, uh, kind of, you know, um, and it it just worked. Uh, it was fine with usually sort of two people, but we were all actively engaged in it, which we knew we needed to be. Um, had the initial team uh, as racing as Team Eco AR, we had a great navigator. Um, and what happened was, you know, when when two of the members couldn't, they had other uh, work obligations and and things like that happening. Um, it just then became a bit of a scramble. Like we've got to rebuild a team. And of course, at that point, people are already committed to right. other events. And uh, you know how hard it can just be sometimes to pull in that last minute person. Um, yeah. On a, in a pinch. So it just sort of worked out and uh, I thought, okay, well, we've got very strong athletes. Um, there was never a concern about anybody's ability out there. Uh, it was just a matter of, uh, yeah, starting and, well, and and doing our best. Well, so. to, to your point, right? And if, if you think about it, you had four very strong racers on that team. And so therefore you can make up the, the, the map reading challenges were easy to make up. As opposed to the other dynamic you see very often is sometimes teams have a lead navigator. They have two teammates that are relatively strong and one that really struggles. And that person feels like they're always off the back of the pack and they always get left behind. And another episode that we recorded before with another guest said it's it's very important during a, during a race that everybody on the team has something to do. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, and um, I think the way that the personalities are of all four of us, it was it was just natural to do whatever we have to do to move the team forward. Um, you know, it just it, the instant that we didn't have to even talk about the stuff. It was the food sharing. It was the, does somebody need a toe? It was the, get the person an extra layer out. Um, these are like... There was just zero discussion about this, but it just naturally happens because of the experience everybody brings to the table to know what you need to do to, to move forward. You mentioned sharing of food. You mentioned going on tow. And for the newer racer out there, going on tow is literally when one racer will attach themselves to another and will help that person climb a hill. They might attach two bikes together, but phys physically, it's literally, it, it sounds exactly what it is, T-O-W, it's a tow. Do you think that because the, the four racers on the team, yourself included, very strong, a lot of experience, was it easier for them to take that assistance because they knew that they had a skill set, they knew that they were strong and therefore they could share? Because during a race setting, giving up some of that control over yourself sometimes is really hard for people. How have you seen that dynamic unfold and how did it unfold in your team? You know, we didn't, we didn't have to do a whole lot of it, um, luckily, but, you know, I think... Um, experienced racers know, like, 
when you need to tow, you just get on with it and you do it. And there's just, you know, leave the ego at the door. It doesn't belong on the race course. And if you really want to advance in this sport um, and have those successes, you just know that it's um, you're doing it in the interest of the team. And sometimes the person who needs the most help um, doesn't recognize that maybe they really need it as much as they can, but everybody else who's in a good place mentally feeling strong, they can see it. And so, you know, it just, um, yeah, you just have to sort of trust your teammates on that one. And remember, like, a toe for five minutes can go a long way to just boosting morale, just letting somebody recover for a few minutes. It doesn't mean you're going to be towed the whole race or that the next bike leg, you're not going to feel awesome. Like, it's just a quick help, a quick lend of a hand, no different than giving up your pack for a few minutes. Anything that just allows you just to, like, take a bit of a break, but keep moving forward. And that's ultimately the key is like, we just have to find a way that we are moving in the forward direction. So, and, and you see that when you're watching, when you're watching dots, right. And talk about how dot watching technology is getting better, better and better. Like Mark Harris and adventure enablers, there's so many races and, and he's so strong and you see track the race now and you watch that and you're watching it. And for those of who don't know how dot watching works, the the GPS tracker the team is wearing pings to a satellite. And so you get a circle on their line and how close the circles are is how fast they're going. And you can just tell when a team has hit a really slow spot and you say to yourself, might be time to start, you know, you're watching from home, give a pack off, trade some gear, go on tow. One piece of advice that I heard recently, which I think makes a lot of sense, is depending upon the pack you're using, if you could store your stuff in dry bags, which is always a good idea in general, because everything gets wet in a race, let's be honest, we're planned for being up to your neck in a swamp, is that when you don't want to give your pack up, you can reach into your pack and you could take a dry bag out filled with food or a license or gear and give that to somebody else. It's a very easy way to slow down, give some gear away, get your pack on and keep moving. Because we know that if you stop and you start moving gear around, time just starts bleeding. And so that's a really nice piece of advice is to use those dry bag systems. Getting a bit into the uh, the specifics, and a, a listener reached out to me with this question because uh, they wanted more specificity. When you go into a race and you're looking at, a, at a, the, the packs we use and the, the way you carry your gear, when you're putting your gear together for, for a big section, do you go with a dry bag setup? Does your pack have separate compartments? How do you focus on keeping things dry? Extra clothes. Do you always have like one piece of backup clothing? Like, are you one of the racers that like you carry a puffy with you no matter what, because you get stuck out there? How do you balance weight versus the items you have in your pack? Yeah, I tend to always have my essentials or really important safety gear in a dry bag in my pack, right? And dry bags these days are so light, you know, it's like no extra weight to carry it. So I always have like, I water, you know, my jacket in there, that extra thermal layer. And that's probably it that I would carry for in general, making sure, you know, maybe if the, the gloves and an extra buff, but that I, I do dry bag that all the time. So that I just know like if, yeah, if we end up swimming something or a compartment's open or zippers, whatever, um, that that's gonna be, um, safe in there but you know no I look at uh the leg that we're heading off on and when I'm making that decision leaving the TA we're like okay you know here's maybe the weather we're looking at maybe we're going into the night maybe we are anticipating a very slow section that's when I will grab that extra puffy perhaps or an extra layer um and what have you I mean and sometimes it's just a matter of what do we have between the team? Do we just carry a little bit of extra that could be split and moved around? And, you know, we all run differently in terms of temperature control as well. You've got the heavy sweater on your team to the, you know, the person who's always cold. I mean, we saw that Expedition Canada, Kev wears like six layers to our one or two. You know, he's he was always cold. So um, I kind of do it leg by leg and I determine it. Yeah, what, what kind of weather, what kind of terrain are we going into? Is it mountains? Is it in, on the water? Uh, how long are we out for? Um, and then I make those decisions. They're almost like game day decisions gotcha. as I go. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and because you have 20 years of racing behind you and you have a lot of muscle memory experience, those calculations probably become very automatic for you. Like you realize, here's what the map says. Here's what the, the, the weather looks like. Here's the terrain. I'll take this, 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 and off you go. Talking to somebody recently about the the food decisions they make during a race, there are some people, mostly the engineer types, who literally do a math calculation, 
right? They look at the map and they say, this is going to be a 10 hour section. I consume 200 cal. I like to consume 200 calories an hour. I'm just picking a number out of thin air. So, you know, 200 calories an hour times 10, they bring 2000 calories with them along there. They might go a little bit more if they if they're going to go, they go a longer section or they bring less. What have you seen in terms of the team dynamic that you worked inside of yourself and your teammates? That kind of food selection. Do people get that narrow with how many calories they're carrying? Or it was like, I want a lot of this. I want a lot of this. I want a lot of this. And off they go. What have you seen? I think you see a mix of everything. Um, and it probably isn't a right or wrong way to do it. However, I would say I'm I'm really yet to see the person who, you know, dials it down to I shall consume 240 calories every hour and then stick that through. Because as we know, as the race goes on, we just don't consume um, everything that we plan to write, um, the more we exercise, the more we actually reject, you know, calories, our body just doesn't seem to, to want it as much. So, um, you know, I'm yet to see someone ever finish ultimately every single leg having eaten everything. I mean, so I, yeah, I take a very flexible approach. You know, I look at, I lay out, so I do all my, I, all the foods that I like, and I'm thinking more like what foods go well biking, what foods are better for trekking, you know, when you got maybe two hands free versus what foods go better paddling when, you know, time off paddle counts every time. So you're looking for very quick things to shove in your mouth versus maybe a sandwich where you gotta, you know, that kind of thing, take longer to eat. So I look at what's all the foods I want for the race? What's the environment? What's the, the temperature we're kind of expecting? Because, you know, um, hot food, foods that work well in hot weather races are quite different from cold. Mm -hmm. um, and also how they maybe store in the the, the bins, your transition bins. Um, so I do all the food prep and then I grab a whole bunch of bigger size Ziplocs. I lay them all out for each leg of the race. And it might say leg one, biking and estimated time is eight to 10 hours. And I go, okay, you know, approximately what do I think I'm going to eat in that? What's the foods? Again, I pull from the foods that are best for biking. I pull from what, you know, is going to uh, be more appealing to eat early. And then, you know, I make that bag and then I move on. And so it's all rough um, estimates. But when I'm packing each individual thing, I think, okay, for people, if I'm bringing cookies, Hey, four cookies in this one particular baggie. Perfect. Cause I know I'm going to share those out to everybody. Right. Super right. easy. And I know they're going to share with me. So I don't get too caught up. I know if I'm low on calories, somebody else probably has some and it just goes round and around. Um, I've always discussed that the best food is whatever's in your teammates pack. And somehow there's a psychological <laughs> thing. You mentioned an interesting <laughs> paradox that we come across that we, we see in race nutrition a whole lot is that the more that you exercise, the less hungry you become. Your body gets into that mode. You have to force yourself to eat. And so when it comes to a section in which you're 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 going into you're deep in the race and you're losing your desire to eat, I, I found that I've heard this advice, I agree with it, is to keep your water and your food as best as possible in front of you. Like your food in your pack wrapped up inside of it, because you're not hungry, you're less inclined to say, hey, listen, let's stop, let's go into my pack. Try to carry the food in your pocket in front of you, your water in front of you, so it's right there. Because when you're in a race, you may, because you're not hungry, you may stop and you may decide not to stop and keep racing. The next thing you know, you find yourself in a calorie deficit. So I think a good piece of advice for newer racers is try to keep your water. I know that I carry the uh, the water bottles on the front of my pack and try to carry, if you have a, 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 hip, a hip pocket at all, carry your food down there as best as possible because to stop eating during a race, I don't care how strong you are. You just disintegrate if you stop eating. Totally. And I will add to that as well. It can be really useful to store your food in your, uh, in a, somebody else's pack, a teammate's right. pack on the outside and theirs in yours. So that, you know, when you stop biking, you pull up next to them, you're stopping, look at a map, you just reach over and you can grab directly out of the back of their pack and they can do that to you. Um, and I would also say what works really well uh, for later in the race is bringing, don't be afraid to bring dehydrated meals because, you know, just adding that water and having something that tastes more normal, whether it's pasta based or rice based, you're going to get really good calories, like some nutrient dense filling um, can be quite, they can be more bland. So you don't have to worry about it being too sweet, too salty, whatever. Um, and that's great. So if you can get one of those dehydrated food baggies in or amongst two people, you know, you can be getting 500, 800 calories in really easily on something that's just so different than maybe what you've been consuming for the first few days. And it's a different consistency. It's usually not sweet. It's more salty, right? Because we know that yeah. a lot of those 
a lot of like the, the goos and the bars lean sort of salty, not sweet. And and to your point, if you're passing through a transition area, and this applies for racers to like in the 8, 10, 12, 24 hour range, if you're it's this isn't not expedition advice only. You stop if there's hot water in transition, you get there, you open up the meal. Usually it's a camp meal. You bag it up, you 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 you, you fill it with water, you seal it, you put it in your pack, make sure it's not gonna spill out, put it in your pack, let it sit for a while. And when you're in a trekking stage, have someone hand it to you. And you get to eat while you're going. You see that very often. You saw sort of Ben did that a whole lot with the food they use. And Nathan Fave, very often you'll see him trekking, actually eating out of those dehydrated bags. I think that's good Absolutely. advice. I, yeah, you know, the, it, it's become just like my go-to so much more than, um, yeah, the, the junk quick sugars or just those very quick carbs. Um, yeah. It's nice to have have good meals with you. Um, and of course, too, you know, when you're uh, moving through the night or you're getting sleepy, uh, eating is one of the best ways to wake up again. So I think that's always a, a, a good go-to first when you're noticing a tired teammate um, and sleepy at that minute night two in the morning three in the morning type stuff it's like get calories in first and you may not even have to start going to some form of caffeine right um and it also helps with you know food does so much for motivation for mood for um your outlook your perspective so eating is really i think is at the foundation of our sport yeah the, the way we talk about eating is like we we we, we love it right and, and then of course let's never, let's never forget during a race you know if you're if you're doing a race that's in a semi-populated area if you come across a cafe or a restaurant or a 24-hour quickie mart at three in the morning it is like the lights of heaven are off in the distance and very often oh, we've had situations <laughs> where we've we've gotten into bars that were closing up that we begged them to reopen the kitchen. And next thing you know, we're in Scotland and we're eating, we're having tomato soup and sandwiches that they made for these, these daft racers that have shown up at their door. So all of that. So it, great. Spot Always. On. Yep. Yeah. Carry money and, and hope for the best, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, famous Abby Perkins <laughs> advice, uh, carry dollar bills with you. So in case there's a soda machine along the way, don't leave. <laughs> that's a great piece of advice. That's a good <laughs> totally. one. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Abby um, nailed that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and you come across it. It's like heaven. And someone the other day called a can of Coke, the red ambulance. I thought that was a great phrase for a can, like, can of Coke and a Snickers bar. They save many a race of life. Um, Absolutely. You know, you're out there, you're racing, you're on your feet for a long time. You're, you're, you know, from the knees down, your feet are wet. They're, they're in shoes, foot care, massive for people. One piece of advice I got early on, when you could dry your feet out, dry your feet out, right? If you're in a TA, shoes off, socks off, put a towel in your, in your bin to sort of get your feet dry. How do you take care of your feet during the race? What do you do? Well, a lot of the foot care prep, I mean, really happens before the race even starts, you know, um, and, uh, I am a really big fan of, uh, removing calluses not down to the you know absolute skin but really getting rid of those big white type dead skin calluses so so removing those maybe that's a pedicure you can do it a lot usually better than maybe scrubbing down super hard yourself um but i'd like to remove that because those just form water pockets like balloons uh in your feet so i like to remove the pedicure um or sorry i like to remove the calluses first via usually a pedicure and also make sure the toenails are trimmed right so less chance of losing them when you got those those trimmed down as well and then a few nights before the race i start putting on some kind of barrier cream right like a foot goo or gurney goo or something like that and i start building that up for those two three nights before the race starts so i'll lube up the feet and uh sleep with socks on you know then go about the normal day everything's off next night again more and you're just building up that barrier and um, I learned that from uh, Roy Malone on Bones and game changer for my feet. And then throughout the race, I will continue to put more on, especially on the trekking legs. Um, you know, you stop you when you change your socks, change in transition, whatever. Um, but really have made a big difference. And I mean, we went through that epic race at uh, Eco Fiji and perfect feet. And that was one of the wettest races uh, that I'd ever done. And our feet were really good. We really took care. We were thinking we'd be out there longer too, but it was, um, it was great. So yeah, I think it's just that initial foot care and then take the time out there. You know, when, when you're that person who gets a rock in your shoe at six hours into a race and you're still in the panic and the frantic and right. the pace is really fast, stop, remove it, deal with it, tape up, you know, um, do what you need to do, but address it, then move on. And, and to your point, you're, you're, you, you touched on a point that I was going to bring up there. 
Don't be a hero. If you have something in your shoe and the team's moving well, stop, sit down. Say, listen, I need five. Get the sock off, get the rock out of your shoe, get the shoe back on and keep going. Because many a race has been has been foiled by the fact that someone ignored a little pebble in their foot and it just gnawed at them, gnawed at them, gnawed at them. And next thing you know, they fall apart. Um, yeah, so exactly. I agree with you. The, the, the sock lube sleep at night thing was, uh, I've heard about that from multiple people. Very, very successful. I tried that when I was down in Ecuador and I thought that was a really, that was an excellent strategy. The only weird thing about it was if you don't usually sleep with socks, it's kind of yes. weird to do that. So you might need to practice that a little bit and venture racing is a weird sport that way. You know, and I absolutely, I totally agree. I don't in general like sleeping with socks on, but, um, you know, I think you could apply our, our foot care, um, how our nutrition strategy, how that's going to play out. This is all what we do in training. This is, this is the time to figure it out. So sleep with socks on, test your feet before, you know, what better time winter when you're out slogging in muck and rain and all the things like test out things, try your, try your systems. Don't leave it to like by chance on race day and oh, I'm only going to do it right then and there. Um, that, that is an equal part of training. So practice it. And nothing new on race day, right? The the gear you had is the gear you race with. Today's not the day to try new pair of socks. Like (laughs) off you go. Very good. Exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, For for those who are sitting home right now and nodding their head at their podcast player and and Jen is so wise is because Jen is also an excellent AR coach. Uh, one of the, dare I say, Jen, one of the preeminent coaches in the sport right now. A lot of racers work with her. A lot of racers talk about the success that she brings to them. In general, when you talk about um, coaching and you work with your athletes and you give them advice, what are some of the, um, uh, the, the the poison pills you tell people to avoid in general when it comes to training? Not not about a specific plan, but about training in general. Do people overtrain too early? Are they tough on themselves? Do they like, what do you find? How do you have to warn your athletes? I think it's a good way of saying it. <laughs> well, you know, I think first off it's you do you. Okay. Everybody, um, you know, probably needs a slightly different approach to their training based off of family commitments, work commitments, time allowance to train, um, their back, their athletic background, their strengths or weaknesses, um, where they live, what they have access to. So, um, you know, I think you got to really approach each person like a little individual puzzle. Um, and you know, what's so neat about our sport is we head off to do these incredible adventures, whether they be short or really long, but you want to enjoy that journey of preparing for them as well. Like, I don't like training to be, I mean, there's hard workouts and there's things that we like and dislike more and that's all fine. But in general, um, you know, you want to enjoy the process to getting to a start line, right? So let's find a way on how to, what's going to make you be consistent with your training to get to the start. Exactly. Like you're right. And it's, we all have to grit our teeth and have really hard training days from time to time. That's the nature of the beast. But the point that you're making there is that if every single day is a fist fight, every single day is hard and every single day is a challenge, you have to kind of catch your breath of it because you do have to enjoy the lead up to the race itself. Right. And you know, out of the Ironman, a very common expression was that the, the race itself is a victory lap. Like all of the training led you to having a great race experience and therefore you get yourself there. I also find too, and I, and I wonder if you see this when you work with people, um, how many people I know, they talk themselves, they talk themselves out of being successful before they even start. They don't even tip that domino and get going. Do you find that a lot of athletes and not even the ones that you work with specifically, but your athletic experience in general, that people are self-defeating, like their, their biggest enemy is themselves. Do you find that with people? Yeah, I think, you know, I can see that frequently. Um, and then it doesn't take long, though, for that momentum to build because they start to notice their hard work, their commitment uh, pay off. And then they start to see like, oh, wow, I didn't think I could ride a bike for that long. Um, and, and here they go. Look at what they're doing. Or, you know, maybe those hard bike sessions where at first they're just like, you know, the thought of surviving 20 minutes of a super hard effort or something is like, there's no way I could do that. But before long, um it becomes such a distant memory you know and they surprise themselves so i think just paying attention to those small little wins each day each week each each month um is the best way to work through that self-doubt i agree i agree i've seen that time and time again with people who they they think to themselves i would never be able to do this and 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 it's to your point it's specific to everybody right because one person's 5k is another person's marathon 
And we have yeah. to respect everybody where they are. I think a cool thing with adventure racing too, and I really haven't come across this in our sport, and we've, which we love talking about, that on the spectrum of intensity that's found in sports, I think adventure racers kind of share a space with like ultra runners where, hey, we're happy you're here. This is really hard. Do the best you can. Go get it. I think in adventure racing, people always find a really high level of support, which I think is is the core of the sport. Like, like we're not we're not Spartan races. Like we're not like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to crush you into the ground and you're going to climb over this wall. And like, that's a different family of races, but adventure racing really has that experience of just having just a good time out there and supporting each other along the way. Totally. And I think you see that with um, how open and approachable most people are at the start line. Cause you see the beginner who's trying to figure out the compass or, mm-hmm. you know, they're still flustered with their gear, trying to get that organized um, to how teams work together on a course, how they help work through their navigation and travel together, you know, in the big races for days, sometimes um, it's a, it's very unique. And um, I, yeah, you see such people coming in from such different angles of it, uh, from from the newbie um, mm-hmm. to I, you know, and I see and I coach some husband wife couples who are trying to learn the whole sport together, uh, to the mix of teams and and abilities out there. So uh, it's unique for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing sport in so many ways. You, your own training, you mentioned Expedition Canada's right around the corner. What is the divide two hundred miler? Yeah, so that's a new ultra, a new 200-mile ultra running race that uh, is just launching this year. So we have a very popular series sort of in the southern Rockies uh, in Canada. The races that have been happening for years, I've been out to them. Uh, some people might know them as Sinister 7, the Canadian Death Race. Um, they've gone <laughs> wait, 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 wait. The Sinister Seven is one race and Canadian Death Race yeah. is another name. Yeah, they, yeah. they come yeah. up with great names. Yeah. Great it's names. Not, nothing like really inviting the newcomer to come try it out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and they are. They're they're very hard. Um, they're definitely amongst the hardest ultras I, I'd say we have here in Canada. Yeah. So um, when I go to Canada, race, I'm going to sign up for Donuts and Unicorns. That's the race that I want. All right. The, the yes, Sinister you, Seven. You definitely are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Donut Unicorn guy. Nice. If you take one of these on, I'm going to come crew you at it. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're great. Uh, and so the race director has just launched this new 200 miler, um, which is really exciting. And so I will be doing that in September. Um, and yeah, looking forward to just seeing some new parts, um, of that part of Canada that I haven't seen before. And of course, for me, I love the mentality, um, of just how long this is going to be, you know, that's 300 and whatever plus K and uh, I see it as an adventure race. My approach to it will be very much um, adventure race mentality out there as well. So with the 200-mile race and adventure race mentality, is there any specific navigation you have to do, or is the course pretty much, is it get on this trail and stop 200 miles later? Yeah, the course is uh, going to be marked, uh, but they do say there's going to be some very challenging sections where maybe flagging gets gets hard i'm not super sure exactly what that means i'm not too personally i'm not too stressed about that um some legs will take us you know very remote uh where you're really gonna feel out there um and that's exactly my cup of tea so that's kind of what i i i look forward to the most actually um you know i i I don't so much like the the initial parts of a race. I, you know, that first 10, 20, 30 K. I love it when the the race. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when we just get out there and you settle into your own world and you just start to just become one with the environment and with, you know, what's going on in your brain and that, and then, you know, we'll be going through a couple nights out there. So, um, yeah, I, I love the, I love the night sections. I always have same in adventure racing. So I look forward to putting the headlamp on and just grinding out the miles. Do you go with the headlamp and the waist belt or just the headlamp? I know the waist belts are getting popular with a lot of racers. Yeah, I use, uh, I'm still a big fan. I use the Lupine yeah, uh, set up for my head. Uh, I'll use the same one I use for adventure racing. Great lumens. Um, I mean, mine's 1200 lumens and they, they make even way more brighter ones than yeah. that. So I'm probably due for an upgrade. Um, but it's always been very dependable. And for me, good light uh, helps with staying awake, yeah, right? Yeah. So I want to see my, I don't want to be, I don't want to have getting tired eyes out there. So yeah. Yeah, very much uh, AR style will be my approach. So you mentioned it's going to take a couple of nights for for that sort of a distance. When you're putting that together, 200 miles. You know, you, you give for the Canadian listeners, you give the kilometers. I'm sure they, they thank you for doing that. For for <laughs> 200 miles, 
what is your, how do you look in terms of, are there TAs along the way? Will you be crude? Are there, it's a sleep strategy. Like what, what's your, what's your general, or do you go straight up AR and just bang on as much as you can and only nap by the side of the trail? How do you approach it? This one, yeah, we've got crew four, which is great. Um, so I've actually got a few of my athletes are coming out to crew. Um, I've got some some great friends coming. I'll have a couple pacers for the back half, um, which, you know, I'm really excited about too because they're people that I really enjoy sharing the trails with. Um, very strong adventure athletes. So I know we're going to have a good time. I know that they are, you know, alert and attentive to what's going on out there. Um, trust their judgment, all that we've we've been in, you know, some crazy situations together. Right. So I feel very good about the team uh, that I've put together for it. And yeah, no, I will be sleeping now. I can't comment so much as to when, but I will likely take um, at least one 90 minute sleep gotcha. um, to go through a full, yeah, a full sleep cycle out there. And then for sure, I'm sure some naps here and there. Um, I haven't decided exactly where the sleep will come yet. It will depend if I take that likely in a transition area um, just to have that really good quality because I, you know, I tend to approach it with I'll come in. um, I will eat as much as I can. Then I'll lay down. I'll get up. I'll eat again and I'll go. So to have just like that good reset of good calories, hot food, if it's through the night, warm beverages, that kind of thing. Sometimes sleeping in a TA makes sense. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, be, I give a lot of direction as to like, you know, what that needs to look like, how quick it all needs to happen. We need to be away from the noise of the transition so that yeah. it's quality, that kind of stuff. One of my uh, my favorite expressions of adventure racing, and Jonathan Neely deserves this credit for this, he calls the fire pillow rock. Don't go near the fire, right? <laughs> Don't go near the fire. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you go near the fire and you sit in a chair, lights out, race over. Totally. You can't do that to yourself, right? Just keep moving. So do you yeah. tell your, your crew to basically like when you come into a TA and it's late in the race and you're a little delirious, like, like, don't listen to me, feed me, dress me and get me out the door. Like, don't let me hang around too long. Do you tell them that? Do, you, do, you, do they become <laughs> the brain outside your body? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, we'll have a game plan as to like what needs to happen um, at each one. And I, you know, I haven't started to lay out for this exact race yet, um, but I will. We'll have a game strategy. It'll all be written down. Um, things we don't have to think about. But, you know, I think um, as an adventure racer, I'm used to being flexible. So right. it's like things don't have to be set in stone. I'm very adaptable. Um, if I'm asking for something, I come in, there's a food I'm craving. They don't have it. Uh, well, we just move through it. Okay, next thing, here's what we do have. Right. Here's what we're going to work with. Um, so I don't need to be too regimented. Um, gotcha. There's always that that room, and I think that just comes from, from adventure racing. We know, like, plans change constantly. What you think right. happens doesn't happen, so be adaptable. I always wonder, uh, that mentality of just adapting to the situation, do you find that, that translates into your day-to-day life? Absolutely, Yeah. Yeah, we have an idea of how the state's going right, to unfold, right. <laughs> but does it really? <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, I, when I talk to and I work with newer adventure racers, I, I always tell them that they really have to drop the expectation that things are going to go exactly the way they thought they were going to go, that it's going to go haywire, like something's going to break, this teammate's going to have a bad day, like be prepared to adjust around that situation. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people coming back to adventure racing is the unpredictable nature of the experience. Totally. And I think and I, that's what's so unique and so uh, captivating about it. Um, yeah, I agree about that. Doing, there's never a repetitive experience. You're never going to have two races that unfold the same. Doesn't matter, right? Uh, year to year at a given race or, you know, sometimes, you know, you get asked the question, well, what's the hardest race you've ever done? Well, you can't really compare two events, you know, it's, everything's. It's, it's funny you bring that up because when I do the, when I do the, if you listen to the earlier versions of the dark zone, when you would, when I would, I would say, what was your best race ever? Or what, where would you go back to and race again? And people were like, it's like, asking me to pick between my kids. Like, I, I, I can't tell you, I could tell you stories like this race here, this guy's bike broke twice within like a mile happened to us. We, we, we basically forgave him for it eventually, but adventure racers have a tough time with best or would go back to that one. Do you, do you feel the same way or would you, or am I wrong? Like, is there a race that you would identify as being like the best race you ever did? We had a great experience or are they all just one big pile of races? They're all, I love them all for so many different reasons, right? Uh, different challenges, different, you're at different phases of your life. So they, you know, you feel different probably. Right. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I'm just, I try to just take a, I'm just grateful for 
where the sport's taken me and what I've been able to see and who I've been able to meet along the way. The core guiding principle of the Dark Zone has always been the idea of that this is an amazing group of people, get them talking about it and share their stories. Think of a story, a time you had where things just went haywire during a race and you just had to figure it out. Was it a mechanical? Was it a nav error? Was it a bad lighting system? Were in the middle of nowhere? When did things just go upside down for you? Oh, Brian. <laughs> We've had, we've just had so many over the last 20 years. It's almost too many to think about, right? It's like, well, you know, we were on the high seas here and there's a 10, 10 foot waves and the rescue boat had to come. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just think, I think back to the early years there, cause they probably maybe even seemed more epic right. um, back when, right. When you're doing those first few, you know, expedition races, um, there used to be this great series we did across the Baja for years. Um, I think we were down there for three years in a row racing right across the peninsula from you know, the Pacific to the Sea of Cortez or reverse direction, you know, or what have you. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, just some of the epicness that unfolded there, um, usually to do with the water, big, big water. Um, at that point, you know, we were paddling a triple kayak. Uh, so that brings its own share of problems. <laughs> when you're, when you're surfing beach breaks in, in a triple, um, triple gear, racers, kayak, and the waves are like nine foot waves. everything goes everywhere, right? Exactly, the yard sale, <laughs> everything goes. Well, for the listeners out there, if you Google uh, Eco Challenge Morocco, the, 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 the videos of those guys trying to bring those boats in on the shore are just absolutely upside down. And that those Baja races are spoken of. I have to find someone who's done those races to talk at deeper length about that because those races are crazy. I heard like finishers where like you finish like into a huge party, like you paddle into like a huge fiesta going on and you just have to run through it a part of the course, stuff like that. What an amazing right? experience. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, I feel like every race just ends up having these these segments that go, yeah, they, they never go as planned or whatnot, but it's how you problem solve your way, your way out of them. Right. You know, whether it's, it's nav stuff and you've just really messed up on that or gear failure. I mean, we've had, you know, the, yeah, where all the bike is just completely break, breaking right. down to like the pedal and you're trying to stick a stick in there to use that to put your foot on, or you've lost a bike shoe somewhere and now you're, you, you're without right. or a teammate put like a teammate. We, I saw a race one time. It was up at an untamed New England where, where the team, a two person team was having a great race and they were at a TA and they left the TA and they got an hour away and they realized that they threw their punch, their, their, their checkpoint punch in the garbage. And they had to hike right. back the hour and they had to pull the, their, their race passport out of the garbage and keep racing. Like those kinds oh. of crazy things are, a guy losing their shoes and all sorts of stuff like that. So if you race long enough, you get a lot of those adventures and experiences. You do. And I think though, you know, you just, you got to be so careful to not pull the pin too soon because there's might be a way to solve the problem may not mm -hmm. be the most comfortable way you're going to get yourself out of it. Yes. But you know, um, take take your time before you just decide your race is over right, because right. it might just be a matter of yeah you know the next six hours are going to be really painful as you walk a, a road with one shoe on or <laughs> you know uh whatever, whatever <laughs> out of food out of water um, out of sunscreen just uh it'll be all right we'll figure bit, it out right I, but, one of my one of my favorite stories was and i and i won't i won't name the racer uh it was this person's first expedition race and just getting clobbered Clobbered. I was in a TA and they really didn't know the course that well. I was in a TA and said to the teammates, I, I, I got to quit. I, I can't go any further. And the teammate said to this person, listen, hold on to that thought. Listen, at the next TA, like just get back on the course and you'll do it then. What they didn't tell the person was because they were so the next TA was like a day and a half away. And so by the time they got the next TA, the person was completely fine and ready to go. But they basically lied to him and they were like, listen, you're going to be good. Just listen, the next TA, we'll talk about it then. Just let's get rolling here. And the person had no clue that it was like 18 hours later before they had to like make that decision. And by then they kept racing, like never quit the TA, never stay your races over the TA. Don't do that. It's absolutely not the place. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I saw on your Instagram profile not too long ago that you trick, you took a trip to Grand Canary Islands. Am I, am I reading that correctly? I did. I did. Um, yes. So one of my athletes, one of your past um, podcast guests, Rachel Nolan, um, Irish athlete, 
Um, great, great person. Uh, she was down there training, uh, putting the final touches uh, on her preparations for running the Trans Grand Canaria 128 Ultra. And in a last minute whim, my schedule opened up and I said, Rachel, I'm going to come down and join you and um, yeah, finish up the training with you. I am her coach and I just thought it'd be great to, for me to get on some trails Um you know, she's, I knew she still had, you know, some, some miles to log there and, uh, and it worked out then that I could stay and be a part of her race and crew her. So it was very last minute, but, um, it was incredible to, yeah, meet her down there. It's, um, you know, a set of islands just off the coast of Morocco. So it's actually, it was a very far away, two days almost to travel for me to get there from West Coast um, of BC. But it allowed for, yeah, 10 days of great trails, great elevation, um, and uh, and some time with her. And then, of course, too, it's not very often I get to be on the course with an athlete um, and crew and, and honestly watch all their hard work uh, and preparation, like, come Come together into the moment uh on their big day so it, it was a great trip i can imagine that conversation at home saying to your sniffing another i have to go my athlete needs me i have to be at the race i'm going she needs me to be there and it's grand grand canary you're you're, you're a real yeah, you sacrifice right was, there i did say it was work it was work <laughs> it was at, least, at least according to the irs <laughs> the, well yeah. whatever in canada is the irs version of canada it was a work trip i had i had to go there um <laughs> So between your adventure racing and your coaching and your and the 200 milers, it, it's clear that a sense of adventure permeates all that you do. You also guide for people. Tell us about your guiding service a bit. Yeah, the the, um, the guiding has uh, has sort of been the last seven years. Although I have a guiding um, a guiding background um, since I was about 20, uh, where I dabbled in it over the years. Um, but quite a few years ago now, I became an ACMG guide, um, hiking guide. So that's sort of the closest um, correlation in a very high certification we can get to mountain running guiding. And so now I take people on um, a few trips a year. I just offer a few things because I enjoy it. Um, it's not primarily what I do. But I try to come up with some really great places, remote, maybe hut to huts or backcountry based or self-supported -support fast packs. Um, anywhere from, yeah, three-day adventures to week-long, uh, sometimes using a heli to fly in. Um, but really just to take people on a different type of challenge and adventure away from a race course. Right. Um, and so, yeah, every year I offer a few different types of trips. Uh, there are some international ones, but a lot of it is BC. We have incredible, you know, mountains here to explore. So the list is never ending. <laughs> it is always place. And so and to your point, you're able to take your, your adventure racing background, your planning skill set, and you're able to take people back into the into the backcountry to do these kinds of events. Do, I'm assuming that you work with any Anybody who wants to do something can work with you, right? So if it's if they're super fit, you could design a trip around that. If they're not so fit, they're not so much girl, you could design a trip around that. Are there any like what's the what's the lower limit that you expect for someone you bring to the backcountry? Each each trip I sort of give a rating for, but honestly, people email in, um, and if I don't know the person, it's more like, well, what's their experience like? Um, you know, what what sort of mileage have they done? What kind of terrain have they been in? And maybe they're a good fit, or maybe they say, you know what, that's a great trip for me for next year, right. and I'm going to work to getting the skill set because um, you know, in a lot of mountainous environments, we move as well off trail, and you need to be comfortable. Um, you know, it, sort of running through nature's playground uh away from uh groomed marked trail too so. exactly and that's a, that's yeah. a whole different skill set too it's a trail running exactly. versus off trail running is to you know going cross hills and all that sort of stuff there's a lot there exactly and you know being able to some people are comfortable for a few hours out in train but they haven't been on their feet for big hours back to back you know every day even though we're not racing around like we would in a you know a fast-paced race course um you know it's still time on feet that right. matters and then being able to get up and do that the next day and the next day so some some skills are teachable um but you know at, at the basis of everything i love the planning aspect uh, so for me um you know the maps the weather, bringing the whole thing together so people can really just enjoy it and trust in the experience um, that we're, they're providing. So they don't have to be doing, you know, all the uh, sort of external work that's constantly going around in my head as a guide. Um, they get to just really soak up the environment that they're in. 
I was listening to a, a podcast the other day where uh, Chris Caluso over in, in the normal cast was talking to a, a, an AMGA mountain guide, um, uh, Leah Hammington Hamming. I forget her, her whole name. She was actually Ham, the, the Hamminator is her Twitter handle. We'll, we'll put it, her, her okay. Instagram handle. And she was talking about as a guy that one thing that she wished that her, her guests, her clients realized was the fact that the guide's work does not begin the day they begin the adventure and it does not end when it's over. There's the planning that goes into it. There's the work. There's the training the guide has to do to stay fit for it. There's the maps as whether there's all of that. Do you find from like a percentage idea, how much effort when you look at a whole guiding trip, how much of the work do you put in beforehand? Is it is it half of your work? Is the is the is the event itself? only 50% of what you do, like how much planning do you have to put into an event like that? Because I think it's good for clients to know that, how much work you have to put into preparation. Oh, yeah, 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 it's, it's, you're kind of spot on. I mean, the trip is only one aspect of what happens. It's, it's all that free prep that you do. Um, As well, for me, is it's, you know, it's when I get home, um, it's a lot of debriefing as well. So, um, you know, luckily my partner, um, he's also a guide. And so we tend to, for all, for each of our trips, we kind of usually go through the day to day, what went well, what didn't went, you know, what didn't go well so we can learn. We just sort of analyze and, and learn from things too. So, um, yeah, you come out, you come out exhausted <laughs> at the end, um, realizing too, I never sleep well on a trip. Doesn't matter if we're in a tent or in a backcountry right. lodge, like your brain is always in turn motion. What will tomorrow bring? Um, how, how are we going to move through this terrain? Like you're just is constantly assessing, um, people, environment, weather, um, and all that. So yeah, it's a lot of factors. Um, but I do enjoy it. Gotcha. So, and and the, the client is literally without being dramatic, the client's life at the extreme, but also their experience is in your hands. And it's dependent upon how good a job you do. It depends how much how much experience and joy they have with what they're doing out there themselves. That's a, that's a lot of mental load to carry. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so I think for me that, you know, I only offer so many trips because the burnout rate of trying to guide full time, um, right. you know, is a lot. And I've done a lot more in the past, but now I have a lot of other things on my plate that I'm I'm balancing too. So offering just a few trips a year that, um, you know, I can enjoy. And, you know, so many of my, my clients are return clients. Um, we do a trip together and then we, on that trip, we're talking, oh, what, what would they like to see next? And then maybe that's the one gotcha. that comes to uh, life the following year. And it build, and, it, and obviously that becomes cumulative, right? You work with people, they recommend you and you pick up new clients along the way. Yeah, nice. yeah. So, uh, so recognizing you have a big race coming up this year, two big races, Expedition Canada, then you have the, the divide race, you have the Satan's 9,000, whatever you guys want to call it up there in Canada. Um, <laughs> what do you, what do you, when you look down the road and, and very often as adventure racers and adventurers, people live like year to year, I, I have this, I have this, I have this. Do you do long range planning? Like, do you say to yourself, like this year it's these and next year I want to touch this race. I want to go to that part of the country because in many ways, we have like choice paralysis. There's so many things to choose from. There's only so much time. Are there any big items on your list that you definitely want to get yourself to? Yeah, you know, I don't, uh, it's funny now because the, I find like the year is just really a marker on a calendar. Uh, we do have so many of those winter races and into spring and just how my year flows, um, you know, from a family perspective um, and with my partner, um, yeah, I'm always looking down the road. We've all we're already looking to 2024 and beyond because work has to get scheduled in there for mm -hmm. who's gone and who's at home and you know who's in mom or dad mode. So uh, that's really important. Um, I'm really hoping for Croatia next year. Mm -hmm. So I've got to hold that May. Beautiful. Um, Igor. Yeah, every year it comes and goes, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, you mean right now, right? Igor, who's like the the happiest guy I've met. No, he's not. Igor's a great guy. He right now he's 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 waving to the podcast player. He'd love to see you there. A, Igor yeah. Gortek, who does AR Croatia, is a great guy, and you just made his day by mentioning his race. Yes, I, that's been on my list for so long, and every year I uh, have sort of ended up uh, guiding, um, taking a guiding contract, and it's been hard to get to. So you know that that one is really stands out to me. Um, you know, I would have loved to gotten down to Patagonia mm -hmm. uh, in you know, but I actually don't even know if that happened it seemed to have yeah. gotten released very late but again yeah. i love that train i i um i take groups down there every year so the thought of going back was very appealing but then yep. it that didn't really happen so yeah and of course 
You know, I was very disappointed I wasn't going to be at uh, Ozarks this year. Can't make it. Just where it falls and ending on Easter weekend. Um, family commitments and um, Brent and Abby's race at Endless Mountains, high on my list. Um, haven't totally ruled it out for this year yet. I may be more of a last minute uh, perhaps I can go person, but um, just not sure. So, um, yeah, and then there just seems to be some great winter races. So I'm I'm hoping to maybe backload into the winter, early spring there yep. for expedition races personally. There's a uh, on the show pretty soon. I have the race directors for La Ruta Madre, which I believe is November down in Mexico, and that race looks like it's something else. And they just had Malarca yeah. down in Brazil, which was a demonstration yeah. race, which will be a full blown race next year. That race looks amazing. I mean, so the, the races just keep coming onto the calendar and you look up and it's a race here, race there. I would love to get to Asia. I would love to do a race, AR, pick the spot off. I would go in a heartbeat. I think that would be an amazing place to race. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, all these races are just so unique. I mean, I, I do, mm -hmm. I, I would go back to Brazil. I've raced down there many times um, earlier in my race career. Love it, love the people. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it could be a, a good winter um, yep. for the expedition. And it's easier for me to get away uh, in the wintertime versus, um, you know, we were pre-talking a little bit just about the summer. And I find as a, for, for my for my family, it's a challenging time to. Yeah, to the kids aren't it. in school. The kids are home and it's, it's tough to get away. Any shot at making it to the World Championships in Africa this year? It's in October. I'm not sure. I've got it. I do have it noted on the calendar. Um, could be very last minute. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic event. Um, so who knows? Who yeah. knows? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, the, uh, the October is a rough time for, in my industry to get away. October is the beginning of the school year and it's tough to, to take up roots and be gone for 10 days, but it's going to be a fantastic race. And we're, and we're, we're lucky in a thousand ways, right, Jim? We have the chance we have this in our lives and all that we get to do. Um, we're getting to the end of our time together. I'd like, I always like to give the guests the opportunity to, to, to offer some closing thoughts in regards to their racing, their thoughts, what they've learned from adventure racing. Take us out. What do you think? Oh, you know, I think um, for, for everybody listening, just to embrace like all the elements of what this sport can bring and what it can add to your life. Uh, don't be afraid to challenge yourself. Uh, short course, long course, different types of location, different types of terrain that maybe you're not used to. Yeah, there's it offers so much uh, out there and it is niche. It's very supportive. It's so focused on community. Um, and so just uh, have fun with it. You know, you don't, uh, you don't, and don't feel like you have to fit in 15 races a year, like sprinkle them in, do what makes sense and uh, just enjoy the process of getting to the start line on whatever you choose. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks again to Jen Seger, Siegs for coming on to the show. Always a font of knowledge and wisdom. We are grateful for her participation. As I noted in the beginning, she is kind enough to offer a discount to Dark Zone listeners for her beginner and intermediate sprint races. 40% discount. Go to her website, www.jenseger.com. J-E-N-S-E-G-G-E-R.com. Put in the code DARKZONE. One word, all lowercase, to access that discount. It's worth it. Give it a shot. And thank you again to our charity partner, Ascend Athletics, for all that you bring to young women in Afghanistan and Pakistan. We are proud to support your mission of developing leadership and community service in that part of the world. Listeners, thanks for being here. You have a lot of choice in how you spend your time, and we're grateful that you choose to spend it with the Dark Zone. To help us out, go like our Facebook page and head over to your platform of choice and rate, click, and like their algorithm likes that when people pay attention to podcasts. Spread the word. Thanks for being here and good luck racing and have fun training.